Chapter Ten of Tales of the Five Towns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Clifton. Tales of the Five Towns by Arnold Bennett. Chapter Ten, The Sisters Keita. The manuscript ran thus. When I had finished my daily personal examination of the ropes and trapezes, I hesitated a moment and then climbed up again to the roof. Where the red and the blue long ropes were fastened, I took my sharp scissors from my chatelaine and gently fretted the blue rope with one blade of the scissors until only a single strand was left intact. I gazed down at the vast floor a hundred feet below. The afternoon varieties were over, and a phrenologist was talking to a small crowd of gapers in a corner. The rest of the floor was pretty empty, save for the chairs and the fancy stalls. And the fatigued stall girls in their black dresses. I too had once almost been a stall girl at the aquarium. I descended. Few observed me in my severe street dress. Our secretary Charles attended me on the stage. Everything right, Miss Paquita? He said, handing me my hat and gloves, which I had given him to hold. I nodded. I could see that he thought I was in one of my stern, far-away moods. Miss Marikita is waiting for you in the carriage," he said. We drove away in silence. I, with my inborn melancholy, too sad, Sally Marikita, too happy to speak. This daily afternoon drive was really part of our turn. A team of four mules driven by a negro will make a sensation even in Regent Street. All London looked at us. And contrasted our impassive beauty, mine mature, too mature and dark, Sally's so blonde and youthful, our simple costumes, and the fact that we stayed at an exclusive Mayfair hotel with the stupendous flourish of our turnout. The renowned sisters Keita, Paquita and Marikita Keita, and the renowned mules of the sisters Keita. Two hundred pounds a week at the aquarium. Twenty-five thousand francs for one month at the Casino de Paris, twelve thousand five hundred dollars for a tour of fifty performances in the States, fifteen hundred pesos a night in a special train, deluxe in Argentina and Brazil. I could see the loungers and the drivers talking and pointing as usual. The gilded loungers in Verres Café got up and watched us through the windows as we passed. This was fame. For nearly twenty years, I had been intimate with fame and with the envy of women and the foolish homage of men. We saw dozens of omnibuses bearing the legend Kita. Then we met one which said Empire Theatre, Valdez, the matchless juggler, and Sally smiled with pleasure. He's coming to see our turn tonight. After his, she remarked, blushing. Valdez, why? I asked without turning my head. He wants us to sup with him to celebrate our engagement. When do you mean to get married? I asked her shortly. I felt quite calm. I guess you're a tartar today," said the pretty thing with a touch of her American sauciness. We haven't studied it out yet. It was only yesterday afternoon he kissed me for the first time. Then she bent towards me with her characteristic, plaintive, wistful appeal. Say, you aren't vexed, Selina, are you, because of this? Of course, he wants me to tour with him after we're married and do a double act. He's got lots of dandy ideas for a double act. 
"'But I won't, I won't, Selina, unless you say the word. "'Now don't you go and be cross, Selina.' "'I let myself expand generously. "'My darling girl,' I said, glancing at her kindly, "'you ought to know me better. "'Of course I'm not cross, and of course you must tour with Valdez. "'I shall be all right. "'How do you suppose I managed before I invented you?' "'I smiled like an indulgent mother.' "'Oh, I didn't mean that,' she said. "'I know you're frightfully clever. I'm nothing—' "'I hope you'll be awfully happy,' I whispered, squeezing her hand. "'And don't forget that I introduced him to you. I knew him years before you did. I'm the cause of this bliss. Do you remember that cold morning in Berlin?' "'Oh, well, I should say,' she exclaimed in ecstasy. When we reached our rooms in the hotel, I kissed her warmly. "'Women do that sort of thing.' Then a card was brought to me. George Capey, it said, and in pencil, of the five towns. I shrugged my shoulders. Sally had gone to scribble a note to her Valdez. Show Mr. Capey in, I said, and a natty young man entered, half nervousness, half audacity. How did you know I come from the five towns? I questioned him. I am on the evening mail, he said, where they know everything, madame. I was annoyed. Then they know, on the evening mail, that Paquita Kita has never been interviewed and never will be, I said. Besides, he went on, I come from the five towns myself. Bursley, I asked mechanically. Bursley, he ejaculated, then added, you haven't been near old Bosley since it was true. No, I said hastily, it's many years since I've been in England even. Do they know down there who Kita is? Not they, he replied. I grew reflective. Stars such as I have no place of origin. We shoot up out of a void and sink back into a void. I had forgotten Bursley and Bursley folk. Recollections rushed in upon me. I felt beautifully sad. I drew off my gloves and flung my hat on a chair with a movement that would have bewitched a man of the world. But Mr. George Capey was unimpressed. I laughed. What's the joke? he inquired. I adored him for his bursliness. I was just thinking of fat Mrs. Cartledge, who used to keep that fishmonger shop in Oldcastle Street, opposite Bates. I wonder if she's still there. She is, he said, and fatter than ever. She's getting on in years now. I broke the rule of a lifetime and let him interview me. Tell them I'm thirty-seven, I said. Yes, I mean it. Tell them. And then for another titbit I explained to him how I had discovered Sally at Costrum Beals in New York five years ago, and made her my sister for stage purposes, because I was lonely and liked her American simplicity and twang. He departed full of tea and satisfaction. It was our last night at the aquarium. The place was crammed. The houses where I performed were always crammed. Our turn was in three parts and lasted half an hour. The first part was a skirt dance in full afternoon dress. Danse de modernité, I called it. The second was a double horizontal bar act. The third was the famous act of the red and blue ropes in full evening dress. It was 10.45 when we climbed the silk ladders for the third part. High up in the roof, separated from each other by nearly the length of the great hall, Sally and I stood on two little platforms. I held the ends of the red and the blue ropes. 
I had to let the blue rope swing across the hall to her. She would seize it and, clutching it, swoop like the ball of an enormous pendulum from her platform to mine. But would she? I should then swing on the red rope to the platform she had left. Then the band would stop for the thrilling moment, and the lights would be lowered. Each lighting and holding a powerful electric hand-light, one red, one blue, we should signal the drummer and plunge simultaneously into space, flash past each other in mid-flight, exchanging the lights as we passed, this was the trick, and soar to opposite platforms again, amid frenzied applause. There were no nets. That was what ought to occur. I stood bowing to the floor of tiny upturned heads, and jerking the ropes a little. Then I let Sally's rope go with a push, and it dropped away from me, and in a few seconds she had it safe in her strong hand. She was taller than me, with a fuller figure, yet she looked quite small on her distant platform. All the evening I had been thinking of fat old Mrs. Cartledge, messing and slopping among cod and halibut on white tiles. I could not get Bursley and my silly infancy out of my head. I followed my feverish career from the age of fifteen, when that strange something in me, which makes an artist, had first driven me forth to conquer two continents. I thought of all the golden loves I had scorned, and my own love which had been ignored, unnoticed, but which still obstinately burned. I glanced downwards and descried Valdez precisely where Sally had said he would be. Valdez, what a fool you were! and I hated a fool. I am one of those who can love and hate, who can love and despise, who can love and loathe the same object in the same moment. Then I signalled to Sally to plunge, and my eyes filled with tears, for you see, somehow, in some senseless, sentimental way, the thought of fat Mrs. Cartilage and my silly infancy had forced me to send Sally the red rope, not the blue one. We exchanged ropes on alternate nights, but this was her night for the blue one. She swung over, alighting accurately at my side with that exquisite outward curve of the spine which had originally attracted me to her. "'You sent me the red one,' she said to me, after she had acknowledged the applause. "'Yes,' I said. "'Never mind. Stick to it now you've got it. Here's the red light. Have you seen Valdez?' She nodded. I took the blue light and clutched the blue rope. Instead of murder, suicide, since it must be one or the other. And why not? Indeed, I censured myself in that second for having meant to kill Sally. Not because I was ashamed of the sin, but because the revenge would have been so pitiful and weak. If Valdez the Matchless was capable of passing me over and kneeling to the pretty thing... I stood ready. The world was to lose that fineness, that distinction, that originality, that disturbing subtlety which constituted Paquita Kita. I plunged. I was on the other platform. The rope had held. Then I remembered nothing of the flight except that I had passed near the upturned pleasant face of Valdez. The band stopped. The lights of the hall were lowered. All was dark. I switched on my dazzling blue light. Sally switched on her red one. I stood ready. The rope could not possibly endure a second strain. I waved to Sally and signalled to the conductor. 
the world was to lose Paquita. The drum began its formidable roll. Whirr! I plunged, and saw the red star rushing towards me. I snatched it and soared upwards. The blue rope seemed to tremble. As I came near the platform at decreasing speed, it seemed to stretch like elastic. It broke. The platform jumped up suddenly over my head, but I caught at the silk ladder. I was saved. There was a fearful silence, and then the appalling shock of hysterical applause from seven thousand throats. I slid down the ladder, ran across the stage into my dressing-room for a cloak, out again into the street. In two days I was in Budapest. End of chapter 10